Uh, what's going on, everybody? My name is Arjun Gupta. I play Penny on Sci-Fi's and the Magicians. And welcome to the Coffee Clatch Podcast. Get ready for a wild ride. The Coffee Clatch Welcome to the Coffee Clatch Crew, The Magicians episode review. I'm Jason Pistorino. I'm Christina Lomangino. And today we are reviewing episode two, Heroes and Morons. Written by Sierra Gamble and John McNamara, directed by Chris Fisher. IMDb gave this an 8.6. The synopsis is the crew starts their quest for the seven keys. Elliot travels to a faraway place in search of a special object. Alice runs from a monster. Quentin, Katie, and Josh continue the desperate search for magic. So, Jason, what are your overall thoughts on the episode? Well, I had to watch it twice. The first time, I really didn't like it as much as the series premiere, but that's normal. The series premiere, you want it to come out with a bang, right? Get you excited, sum up some of your questions that you've had all year, and give you new ones. But watching it the second time, I realized that one of my issues, which is something that happens often when we're taking notes, was the jumping from scene to scene. It feels so much more annoying and so much less fluid when you're trying to take notes. Because the way we do it is we say, in our notes, we open it with where they are, the scene, and who's in the scene. So when they're jumping back and forth, we're like, oh, fuck. (laughs) Break bills. Fillery. Munjack. Watching it the second time, it was a lot more smoother, which I'm glad. I had a feeling that was the case. I had a few things that I wish there was more, but I don't know how they would do it. I'll get into it deeper in a bit. But basically, the first journey to get the key I thought was too quick. I wanted to find out more about the Munjack. And you were saying, this is past the Outer Islands to the... After Island. And that's supposed to be really far away and really treacherous. But I'm still okay with that because we have six more keys. And how many episodes this season? Generally, The Magicians is 13 episodes. So they have some time. Maybe they'll fill us in more with those other things. But the second time watching, also, I picked up on a lot of little nuances that I didn't... So, long-winded answer, I enjoyed it very much. Well, I definitely agree with you. I think the episode twos in most seasons, especially when you have a long one, 13 episodes, is going to be a lot of setup. So that doesn't bother me. Even aside from podcasting, I've noticed when I watch shows that I just generally don't like the quick jumping back and forth, the very short scenes. I had a problem with that, as you'll remember if you've listened to us with some of the Mr. Robot episodes. It feels a little bit disjointed and like they're trying to use it as a tool to build up drama, sometimes perhaps where there isn't a lot of it there. I get the feeling they were trying to split the time equally between Earth, what was going on with our group with Quentin, Julia, Katie, and what was going on in Fillory with Elliot and Margot. And that's definitely understandable early on in a season. They want to give enough time to each of our characters. I just felt the stuff happening on Earth wasn't quite as compelling. And like you, I was wishing for a little bit more time on the Fillory adventure. They present us with this glorious boat, the Muntjac, and really all we saw of it was a little bit of the outside. And I agree that I wanted to get a little bit more into the quest. I liked the idea of it. I really enjoy Elliot stepping up more and more as a hero. I thought the interactions going on between him and Margot and then him and Fen were absolutely great. I'm intrigued by this idea of the Frey storyline. And absolutely, if we have six more keys to go, they can't have the big adventure beyond quest number one. It just did feel a little bit rushed when they presented the quest to us. They said, you'll have to get past 
the outer islands. It's so dangerous to all of our kings get to this main place of the after island. They even represented us with the storyline at the beginning of this episode. And unless I'm missing something, we didn't seem to quite get that level of peril with Father Poe and the illusion magic. No, we didn't. But that's because they figured out what it was. But in watching it again, first of all, I loved the animated opening. Yeah, It was beautiful. It reminded me of Harry Potter when they had those readings and the, the animation. I, I, I just love that kind of stuff. It was my stuff. favorite part. But Q finished his reading of that chapter saying, nothing was what it seemed on After Island. I love that because it encompasses that journey. Well, encompasses getting the key perfect, perfectly because it was all about illusion. So let's go over that story for a minute because it does kind of set the premise for our episode and I think the season to come, that's why they keep repeating it. It says, Long ago in a far-off kingdom lived the daughter of a brave knight. He always wanted a son to whom he might pass on his skills. So while father and daughter loved each other, she often felt herself a disappointment to him. One day, a witch kidnapped the knight. The daughter pleaded with her to return him. The witch said no, but he could be rescued if the girl could complete a quest. There are seven keys, said the witch. Find them and you can open your father's prison, the castle at the end of the world. She told the daughter the first key was on the island at the end of her kingdom. So she sailed past the outer island, and while the voyage was treacherous, her destination was more so. And that's where you say they wind up at after island. So I kind of took this as informative for the type of journey that Elliot was going to go on. The journey wasn't treacherous from what we saw sailing past the outer island. If that was, in fact, after island we got to, which I'm pretty sure upon rechecking that it was. They did say it was. Okay. So, yeah, um, the voyage wasn't really that dangerous, although could get to be, I'm thinking, in the future. Well, absolutely. I mean, they did set it up that the Munjack is alive, and we'll go into that soon. I am so excited. And it's got a bit of an attitude on it. That's an amazing addition. It's like adding a whole new character. Absolutely. So we're going to see some fighting between Elliot and the Munchak, perhaps. Or we're going to see the Munchak learning something about Frey and trying to warn Elliot. There's so many ways they could go with this that I'm very intrigued. Well, I'm glad you bring this up because we do have to go through our review of New Faces and Places. And one of the things I had under Spells and Magic was the Munchak, although maybe we could put it under Faces as well. They tell us it's the fastest boat in their ancient fleet and the best way to reach the outer islands, and that the Munchak designed herself to explore, do battle on the sea, and is excited for the journey. That's amazing. Now this guy, who gave us the information, another new character, Admiral Lacker, can communicate with the boat. So I assume that's going to be essential in the future to figuring out what types of ideas this boat has, and does she have her own thoughts about sailing the seas and doing battle and the type of journey they should be going on. That's very good fodder, I think. Another character who we met briefly but seems becoming more front and center is Bingle, the best swordsman in Fillory. 72 kills and never got a scratch on him, and he is joining the quest as well. And we have Frey, or Frail Human, played by Madeline Arthur. Fen and Elliot's supposed daughter, now more grown up because time accelerates in the fairy realm. So, the big question, do you believe it? Is this really Fenn and Elliot's child? Uh, I go back and forth with that. I don't have a solid answer for you. Watching it the first time, I didn't believe it. I thought it was too easy. But then the fact that the characters, which is one of the things I really love about this show, is they're aware of themselves. 
And they know when they're using a trope, they can actually make it a good thing that they're using a trope. And they'll say, again, I'm jumping ahead, you know, they'll make fun of themselves for it. Is it really their daughter? I'm going to say at this point, yes, because it makes a better storyline going forward if it is. I think what I might see glimmers of that could make it interesting when she first presents herself, she says she's loyal only to the fairy queen and doesn't care about her biological mother and father. And yet we have this kind of funny touching scene at the end of the episode where Elliot and Fenn come back together to Hmm. parent their child. That was great. And to me, it suggests that they could start to have an influence and make an emotional attachment to her. And she decides to come over to their side, which could be a great weapon for them against the fairies that perhaps they haven't had so far. We also see she's very intelligent. She has this information about the shadow bat that helps them solve the case. Right now, because they caught on to the seeming deception so quick, I believe it can't be as simple as just that. It might be her daughter. I'm still not sure. And our final new character was Father Poe, played by Haig Sutherland. And I'm pretty sure he's just going to be a one-off, but that was an interesting side adventure they went on. Which also takes us to creatures we thought. We had the Shadow Bat, a savage flying monster that inflicts gruesome wounds although it wound up just being illusion magic, something we've actually seen on The Magicians before. I can't wait to dive into that storyline. It's more brilliant the more you think about it, as far as a journey and as far as a first key. But I'll save that to when we get to that scene. All right, so let's jump into our plot. After we get the voiceover animation from Quentin on The Tale of the Seven Keys. He's a good narrator, huh? Yes, he is. I could read a book or listen to a book read by him for sure. And he sets the stage for us in the physical kid's cottage by saying the first quest is in Fillory and sort of what does the rest of the group do now? The others think they should be with him, but they have no way of getting there because while Dean Fogg gave them the clock, comes back around, the first entrance to Fillory, they need magic to use it. So their ultimate goal is to find Mayakovsky, who has said he had four batteries at Breakbill South, although the group thinks there's probably more. This scene and two other scenes... Although brief, Josh elevated those sections because of his quick quips. He's clever and points out things that are not that obvious, but in his kind of way. I really enjoy that, you know, something fun like a very expensive FedEx bill, you know, something from that to when Q is finished reading the chapter, which is the only part that's written. He has a fun quip about the book not giving enough information and compares it to something funny. I forget the exact joke. He elevates it, but also tells the story, especially answers a question that I was going to have. We ended last episode saying, you know, yes, the group's going to get together. But no, they're not together yet. They're not in Fillory. And there's a reason. The clock isn't a doorway without magic. So they first have to accomplish finding magic. And that's the quest that they're on, which is, at this point, more harrowing than our Fillory quest. And we knew there was going to have to be a temporary fix. If we have to search for seven keys and this ultimate quest is going to take us seven seasons, there's no way to rejoin both groups and get this moving without at least a small amount of magic. We had surmised at the end of last season that would probably be Mayakovsky's batteries, a temporary band-aid, if you will. Wait, are you saying it's going to take seven seasons to get seven keys? No, one whole season, the second season, at least so far as the characters have told us. Oh, I see. Okay. Yeah, unfortunately, we did lose one of those batteries, but if the group is right, there are several more we can utilize eventually. I just hope they don't keep them separated too long, 
this was another wish of mine last season that we could kind of get them all together again in Fillory going on magical adventures. And every time I see that happening, they get split apart. Yet if you've read the books, you'll be familiar. That's often a source of frustration. Every time you think that's going to happen, Mm. this isn't the story we're telling. Somebody gets sent back to Earth. They have to figure stuff out again. It's a constant struggle. So they're staying true to that. I agree with you. Josh was also a favorite character of mine in the book, and I could name him honorary MVM most episodes. He makes these little breakthroughs that cause things to be possible. So he finds this video on YouTube on Urban Freak Fest about a bear attack. They realize the place is a hedge witch bar. We also get Mayakovsky's first name for the first time, Misha. I love that. And they put it together. The symbol of Russia is a brown bear. The bear itself is wearing a symbol on his neck. The bear is Mayakovsky. Another thing that I love about the show is they really do well with encompassing the beautiful scenery and the beautiful sets that they make. They could all have just been sitting there. You know, they could have made it cool uh, sitting on that jean couch. But having Josh on top of the pool table, I don't know. For me, it was just another thing that I loved visually. And I was like, of course, Josh would be on top of a pool table. Also, they kept referring to Mayakovsky as, you know, the bear is an asshole. (laughs) Mayakovsky is an asshole. I loved Mayakovsky as a character so much that I was like, oh, he's not that much. But then I was looking at my notes no, he from is. last year. And every time is. he was on there, I would, like, I would write, LOL, he's such an asshole. And I was like, oh, yeah, he is. I was just, my memory of him is all the cool stuff that he did. But we love him, too. At the same time, it made me miss him and want to see him on screen again, For not sure. just as a bear. Then we had a couple of quick scenes, and this is what I mean. They didn't quite fulfill Felt a little disjointed. Alice goes to a pet shop where she buys a cat. This was bizarre. The owner makes her swear first that the cat shall be protected and see no evil. I don't know what that was about. She certainly couldn't live up to that. No. I guess it was that. It was a scene where they had to show us her getting the cat and being meticulous about it. Oh, this one's too old. You know, there's a reason for it. But they also had to kind of liven up that scene with the cat owner being a little... You know, cat owners. Bizarre. Yeah. <laughs> I guess, did, did we need it? Uh, we learn kind of quickly that this is her attempt at an alarm system, Yeah. as the man suggested. I mean, even down to the end of it, the exploding cat scene, <laughs> I was kind of like, oh, okay. It was shocking, and I enjoyed it. I saw on Facebook and Twitter that a lot of people were like, why is this show always killing animals? And they seem pretty upset. I'd say relax, you know, oh, yeah. don't be I, so sensitive. I don't want to get into it on that end. I just wasn't sure if plot-wise it was necessary. I would have liked maybe a, a bit more time with this next scene where in a construction yard, some magical force enters a worker and seems to possess him. And what? based on the very first scene, we really aren't sure what's going on here. Right. But why would you want more time with that? Um, just a little bit. It was very intriguing. Yep. I like the idea of it. We know where it's going now by the end of the episode, and I'm sure we're going to get more of it. But it gave that dark, scary element that I haven't felt in a while in Magicians. Even when we're on adventures and there is some peril, I don't often feel super afraid for our characters, but I did with these scenes, and I enjoyed that. In case you're wondering, I have condensed all of these scenes from Earth first, and then we will move into Fillory, just so it's easier to talk about. So we'll go next to where Katie joins the group who has enlisted her help. Julia asks if she recognizes the bar from the video, but Katie is still very angry with her. 
Julia shows her the magic she has left and convinces her to stay and help for Penny's sake. This was a great scene to set up the new dynamic between our group. We notice that Katie seems mad and bitter towards them. And it's a reminder of last season. And I didn't forget what happened last season, but I didn't put in my head the fact that, oh, Katie's going to be pretty pissed about this. Yeah, and everything where we left off with Reynard, with what Katie started to have to do with Senator Gaines that Julia wound up finishing. There was a lot of trauma there. Julia was acting like a crazy person when she didn't have her shade and Katie was trying to help her with that. They've really been through a lot. Katie hasn't worked out, I don't think, that emotional stuff yet. Plus, she is just deathly afraid for Penny, who, as per usual, the rest of the group isn't so concerned about. I mean, Julia even says it later, we're thinking about the entire world. We don't really have time to think about Penny. I understand that's her main concern. But for fuck's sake, could we spend five minutes maybe worrying about Penny? I just, I could see now we're going again to where Katie's going to have to sort of go behind the group's back in order to get this accomplished. That's not my favorite interaction, but she does temporarily help out here for the sake of getting this done. She takes the others to the bar to ask about the bear. The guy says he could smell and feel the magic before it happened in the room. Yeah, everyone could, huh? Imagine that. How would you feel if you were Hedgewitch? Already you were struggling with the magic because you weren't accepted, right? So you're forced to learn on your own. You're forced to steal books. You're not getting the education. And then even that is taken from you. That's a strong drug, you know? And not to mention Alice, what she's going through. We had uh, one of the clatchers on Twitter say, is Alice still a Niffin? Yeah. You know, we, we had written back saying, no, because Niffin is pure magic. So now Alice is just an empty vessel with a major case of withdrawal. So yeah, it's, it's weird. Even I'm not sure how to qualify this at some point. They reunited Alice with her shade, at the end of last season. But I don't know quite what this makes her now. We said she seems to be affected in a way that might be permanent. And I think once she gets her magic back, she probably will still be stronger than the rest of the group. But I I think we have to wait and see where that goes. For sure. So back to the bar, imagine having something so life-changing and losing it. And then being at a bar, obviously probably drinking, trying to forget about things. And then you feel just what you're missing and you can feel it strong imagine what they're going through it made me think about that long journey they set up with us for julia going through trying to break into the hedge witches and learning these things of magic so much time and energy and hard work trying to learn spells by herself prove herself time and time again they would get those checkmark tattoos with the stars that let them into different hedge witch bars they worked harder for what they earned, perhaps, than any other magician. So it's probably going to be a bigger hit to them once that's taken away. So, of course, this guy noticed. The bear was Mayakovsky. He was wasted. And we find out there was a girl there trying to control him, who was Emily Greenstreet. So we welcome her back. Quentin goes to see her. She tells him Misha showed up last week, telling her he was free of his bond and that he had always loved her. They decided to celebrate, went to a bunch of bars, and got married. (laughs) They go to this one bar where Mayakovsky met a woman he owed something to, and she turned him into a bear, at which point he started tearing the place apart. Emily didn't quite see the whole thing, so she couldn't tell us who the woman was. Watching it the second time, watching that scene, knowing the truth that it was actually Emily who made him a bear, 
or turned him into a bear. It makes more sense why she was drinking herself to death uh, every day. She's brokenhearted, right? We, we already know what she went through the first time with Mayakovsky. And then she finally starts getting what she wants. And then in comes this woman who was like, I've done all this for you. I've made the batteries for you. And then you just leave me for this woman. And she's brokenhearted there. Watching that scene this time, I see it in her face. And I see the way she's saying, oh, I went to the bathroom. Like, okay, yeah, you went to the bathroom during that. And I knew something was up with her. I thought she was trying to protect Mayakovsky for some reason. She has been a broken woman ever since we first met her in her interactions with Quentin. And she thought she was finally going to get this opportunity to be with Mayakovsky in the way she always wanted. And there's issues. There's always issues with him, right? Duh. (laughs) But this ends with the group realizing they need to find this other woman, whoever she is. There are rumors of magic popping up all over the place surrounded by her. A white woman in her 30s who's a little off her rocker. At this point, I had no idea who they were talking about. Me either. But they start tracking down the rumors. First, Josh and Katie talk to kids at a school where a dinosaur was conjured. And then Quentin and Julia visit a college where students are under love spells, just making out on the lawns. It was another place, I don't know, it was a little weird, this jumping around with the different kinds of magic. It makes sense later, once they unfold the entire story to us. for sure. But I felt very disjointed and confused for a bit. Yeah, watching it the second time, I keep saying that, but the second time, that scene with the people in love, infatuated at the college grounds, is so much more funny. And you see that Julia almost falls for it. She kind of almost gets enchanted into it. (laughs) And this was a good opportunity for Q to be kind of funny, his kind of funny. He's like, all right, let's do a lap. Well, this is the part I like because for me, the Quentin-Julia thing doesn't always quite land, but sometimes it does and it works really well. And this was for sure one of those scenes. The tension between them, the trying to still just be professional and work it out together. You're right. There was subtle humor going on there that was very good. And then Quentin runs into Alice, who says she's doing the same thing as them, looking for Mayakovsky's batteries. She was a little shady. We know that's probably because she's hiding this secret about what she's really after. Is she after it or is she running from it? I mean, she's being hunted. She's running from it, but I think she needs to desperately figure out what to do and she doesn't want to tell them. She needs magic to battle it. Yeah, that she essentially caused all of this. So what we have here now is Alice needing the batteries for her own reasons. We have Katie needing the batteries for her own reasons. And then we have the rest of the group for their own reasons. All good reasons. And again, just like last season, if they could all just work together and talk it out. Watching Alice now back as a human, I am very intrigued and I'm enjoying this new personality. If you go back to season one, when we're introduced to her, if you remember, she was very shy, very goofy. Uh, You know, even walking was kind of... Awkward. Yeah, awkward. That's Mm -hmm. it. Completely different now. She's grown in many ways. Smart-wise, she was always smart, but now she's like really on the ball. Talent-wise, power-wise, and self-esteem, I believe. Well, that's what I mean. It almost feels like each stage she went through, she never completely left that. There's pieces of that with her from when she was a Niffin, from now that she has no magic. They're all changing her in a way. And I don't know what Alice we're going to wind up with on the other side, but the journey is great. And I loved her coat. That coat was badass. Kind of reminded me of the coats in Fantastic Beasts. Haha, <laughs> yeah. 
Well, next, Julia finds out the woman that was there was talking about the loss of magic and the need for wonder. She was also asking, where was the nearest building to jump off of? And of course, Q knows this is the old post office on 58 from when he was considering the possibility. That's a reminder of how much he was suffering. But it was also kind of felt good because he is talking about it in the past, kind of matter of factly, because he's so past that mm-hmm. at this point. And it's a wonder that he's the one to talk someone off the ledge. Yeah, or right? try, anyhow. Yeah. yeah, this was a intense and unexpectedly emotional scene coming up where they get to the building and see someone about to jump off the roof. Quentin goes up to find it's Professor Lipson, which I never expected. Me neither. She tells Quentin that Mayakovsky's battery is essentially hers. The Antarctic metal, everything he needed to make it came from her. So they were collaborating for a long time. I'd love to know the background on that. And it turns out she has an emotional connection to him because she starts saying he comes in with that whore calling her his wife. Whoa, this is way out of left field. She is really distraught, ready to jump, and Quentin tries to talk her out of it. He says we didn't know how good we had it. We really didn't know how good we had it, did we? We whined and complained about everything that magic couldn't do because we couldn't see that a world without it was dark and mean and pointless. And again, a very meta comment to what we've seen our characters struggle with for a long time now. The desire for magic to fix everything, the seeing that it doesn't and often creates more problems. But now without it, they finally see how much they needed it. They're all so lost now that it's gone. For sure. And that's what I brought up last episode. Wondering if the old gods are trying to teach everyone a lesson. Still don't know if that's the case, but we do know that everyone's feeling the loss and everyone will respect, if they get magic back, will respect the magic even more and not concentrate on what it couldn't do, what it couldn't heal or fix. This also explains why the seemingly random magic was happening on Earth. The first one was the dinosaur. Half man, half dinosaur. We never got to see Mm -hmm. it. It's what the kids wanted. He, she wanted to bring some magic and wonder mm-hmm. for the children. And the second one was love because she wanted people to feel the love that she has been, I guess, taken away from. Mm-hmm. So that's very Professor Lipson for you, right? She wasn't out of character per se. No, it just highlights the danger, as you said before. Everybody thinks their need for this magic is the most important thing. Mm. Alice thinks this Lamprey is after her and is going to do great danger. She's the one that needs the magic. Katie thinks Penny is dying. He needs it more than anyone. But if everybody keeps going off and trying to do these side journeys on their own and steal a magic battery here and there, we're never going to get the main problem fixed of let's get magic back forever. So they do need to sort of stop that from happening, get on the same page together and bring the magic to the quest so they can ultimately save it once and for all. How are they going to explain this to the cops? It didn't look like they really had to. We didn't have much of a resolve to that. Uh, First, Lipson says the ball she has in her hand is all there is. But when Q tries to relate to her, saying, well, it's okay, Mayakovsky got what he deserved, she reveals she wasn't the one to turn him into a bear. Q rushes to grab her before she can jump, but she drops the battery in the process and it shatters on the ground below. So the police take Lipson to the station. They don't really 
spell out what's going to happen there because we're distracted by the cat in Alice's crate who starts screaming and then explodes. And now we know why they chose to have Alice in a white coat. Mm-hmm. Yep. But that was a good scene. It was very well done. The look on Alice's face, the jump, I bet that jump was real because the explosion sound. But we see very quickly right away, she runs off and so does Katie. And I guess cats are especially susceptible to lamprey magic or something like that. That's what this man must have told her. Lamprey's a fish, right? In real life, we read that it was this parasite-like sea creature last season when we were trying to figure out what it could be. I don't know how it's going to present here on the show. Well, I guess you know the whole like cats love tuna or am (laughs) I just, it's a stretch. I think they eat fish. Yeah. So it would be vice versa, but... But they can sense it. Well, it reminded me of when people used to bring canaries or birds into the mines because Mm -hmm. they were more sensitive to things and you would notice that. I think maybe a similar type of process happening. Yeah, the explosion though, a little ridiculous. Yeah, a little violent. Did you notice the construction worker walking by? Because I didn't the first time. No. Second time I did. He was in the background? He walks by quickly. Oh, of course he did. (laughs) Well, the group then returns to Emily, who it turns out had the battery the whole time but reveals someone came and punched her and took it, which is Katie. I didn't see that coming. Did you? No, but again, it just felt like a lot of twists for twists' sake. It's Emily. It's Professor Lipson. It's Katie. They had to keep us moving and guessing on this mystery that ultimately just winds up being what we kind of knew all along, that Katie needs it to save Penny. But it makes sense, though, at least, right? Because the way Katie was treating the group... She didn't seem like she was down to help him until she figured out what they needed. And it was like, oh, I need this too. And remember, we were introduced to Katie as a narc, basically, right? Uh, or as a spy. So this isn't out of character for her. Oh, right. But no great surprise either. It felt like maybe they had to kind of keep us chasing our tail the whole time because... Why well, you got to make cat references? It- <laughs> cat just died. I'm sorry. Um, it's not something that's hugely suspenseful once we get to the end of it. I see what you're saying, but we didn't see it coming. At least I didn't. I thought until they said, oh, it was a hard punch. No one punches like that except for Katie. I thought it was Alice. Oh, as soon as they said the punch, I knew. Yeah. But we were far gone at that point. So, yeah, it, it was a bit of a mystery. I just don't know that it was that exciting in the end. But it was a touching scene, the last part here, where she goes and meets up with Penny, who has come back to their meeting place, saying he felt like it was his time and he wanted to be with her. So she shows him the battery and takes him away, presumably to heal him. Do you think he'll be fully healed or just healed enough where he can join the group for a little bit? I guess it depends on how much magical force we have stored in that battery. Seems like a lot even just based on what Professor Lipson was able to do. But we know this is really serious magic, dark magic that's affected Penny. Even the librarians had no clue how to help him. I don't think it's going to be the end of that story, but enough that we can reintroduce him back into the game plan here, and it's not just Penny dying and and struggling with that issue, which is good. It keeps progressing it forward. I'm hoping we get away from the old... Penny's away from the group thing. Mm-hmm. We need him in there. He always brings some levity to the group and some attitude to it that I enjoy. Well, if he is healed enough, he won't be restricted anymore to this only one hour away from the Netherlands because it could kill him. So that might open him up a little more, but he's still under the contract with them. So I think he might have this parallel story running for a while. 
we're finished with our earth scenes. We're going to move next into our fillery scenes. But before that, we want to take a quick break to tell you about our Patreon. If you love what we do and you want to hear more, we have well over 24 hours of content available to you on Patreon. And what is Patreon? Patreon is a way for you guys to help us continue to deliver free content. It's a subscription-based membership program, which gives you the ability to join us in tiers. You can join us from tier one, from a dollar to four dollars, where you have access to a Patreon-exclusive chat board. And you can chat with us, get the lowdown on a few things, but also know that you're helping us. You'd say, why would a dollar help you? Well, if we have 300 of our listeners helping with a dollar, that would help us tremendously. And it's only a dollar for you guys. It's not hurting your pocket. Less than a cup of coffee, if you're like me, every day. And it does really add up. You wouldn't anticipate how much goes into making a podcast, not just the time and energy, but the money as well. We do this because we really enjoy it. But we also have quite a few other full-time jobs. So it's often difficult to make this work. Your support is what allows us to keep doing free shows like The Magicians. But it's not just all about helping us. Like Jason said, you get bonus stuff too. You get a discount off of anything in our gear store for Coffee Clatch Crew merchandise. That's right. If you listen to our last podcast, we were having issues with our website. It's almost completely fixed now. The last step is to get the store back online. You can see all the gear that we've designed for you. Westworld gear, CKC gear. We're working on a magician's gear, Sherlock. We got so many things. Finally get the magician's one out. We have some ideas for you. We got an awesome Clatch Nation hat. Really cool stuff. You should check it out. You get 10% off of that. And you get something else as far as gear is concerned, but we'll save that for a second. Tier two, you get bonus content. And we have, again, well over 24 hours of bonus. Every month, we give you a bonus episode. If you sign up now, you get a whole year's worth of bonuses. We go over news. We go over shows that are coming out. We get a little personal. We have fun. It's a lot more relaxed. It's hard to explain. I'd say give it a try for a month. I think you'll dig it. And then tier three, you get all of that plus movie reviews. You vote for the movie every month. We go watch it. You go watch it. And then we give you a breakdown in depth, behind the scenes, what our thoughts were, just like this show, but with a movie. And it's really enjoyable. And the Clatchers get to vote on all that. So every tier up, you also get the benefits from the tier below you. One of our Clatchers has been such a help to us. They requested to remain anonymous, but they have endowed us with the ability to give away free gear. So as a thank you for being Patreon members, we're going to have some fun with this. Yeah, so we're going to set up two different pools, potentially, that you could be entered into to win some free Coffee Clutch Crew merchandise. If you have already been an existing Patreon member, you will get entered into the existing member pool to be drawn kind of like a raffle. And if you are in the new to join member pool, you will go in the new raffle. And each month we will pick out a name from both pools and that person will get a free item of CKC merchandise thanks to our benefactor. So if you don't win, you always have a chance to. Yeah, and here's your little loophole as well. If you are an existing member, but you refer somebody who joins up as a new member, for that month, you will go into both pools, new and existing. All that needs to happen is that new person tells us you recommended them. And we're not going to just send you any old gear. You'll be able to go to our gear store and you choose. Obviously, don't buy it. Just (laughs) we'll be be in contact with you. Tell us what you want and we'll send it to you. We think this is a good way to say thank you to everyone. And this is because we 
really appreciate our Clatchers. And when you're a Patreon member, you're giving to us just like we're giving to you. And it's kind of feels like a family. And finally, because of our benefactor, we're able to afford to just give a little more. Spread some love around and hopefully entice some new people to find out what the CKC community is all about and keep building our Patreon. We won't keep going on and on here. We'll talk about this a little bit more on our next bonus cast if you are a Patreon member because there are a few other fun things coming up, potential things in the works to keep improving. So real quick, how do you become a Patreon member? Just go to coffeeclatchcrew.com, click on Patreon. You'll see the page and just sign up. Give it a try. And remember, whether it's tier one, tier two, or tier three, it's not breaking the bank for you, but you know that you're contributing to helping Christina and myself out. We hope to one day be able to provide even more content, do two shows at once. But in order to do that, we have to be able to quit one of our other jobs. And we live in New York and it's expensive. All right, that's it. Let's go to Fillory. Okay, meanwhile, at White Spire, the council tells Elliot they're out of money. Magic is gone. They can't even control the gold-shitting beetles that have declared themselves free. I love that they brought that little point back <laughs> yeah. around. We also see that Margot has a bunch of new blinged-out eye patches. Of course. I really love that they incorporated that into her costumes. Every new scene, it feels like. It's so cool. It's so Margot. And only Margot can make it look badass. Like, she doesn't look like she's wounded or less of a person. She looks more badass It now. makes her look more tough, if anything, and still regal. Yeah, for sure. And she brings up a good point. She's wondering why, if they're broke, they're spending so much money on repairing the Muntjac. But Elliot says it's the best way to reach the Outer Islands, where taxes haven't been collected in 46 years, three months, seven days. I want to live there. And we also see, of course, the fairies are watching on everything. I'm so curious to what the fairies want. What if, what's their motivation here? This is a good intrigue because I really have no idea. We don't know what they're about, what they're after, what the plan is with sending Frey along, except, of course, to spy and report back. But I was wondering how they would be able to go and the fairies let them, you know? Mm -hmm. So I guess this is how. Yep. So, in essence, the fairies do want them to bring magic, <clears throat> magic back. We had thought maybe they weren't hurting for it because they are inherently magical creatures, but it seems there is a reason why it's still important to them. And let's not forget that quick clip in episode one of a world being destroyed. Something's happening that we don't know about yet. Are you thinking it's possibly the fairy realm that we saw? I don't know. I'm still leaning towards the Netherlands, but I do think something is going on with their realm. There's something that they need that I think is more powered by humans than they would like to admit. And the humans losing magic could somehow be costing them. We had originally thought that's why they wanted a child born of humans. That's mm -hmm. what they were doing with Frey. And then I had said last episode, it seems like there's something important about her being female, but that's all still yet to be seen. Now, do you think she can communicate ongoing Frey with the fairies, or she's just going to tell them when she gets back everything that happened? I don't know, but I wouldn't put it past them. You know, uh, and that's another thing. You brought up Frey, and you were kind of warming up to the fact that, that last scene, like, maybe they can bring her on her side. Maybe. I hope so. But also, she might be playing the long game, getting them comfortable with Frey mm -hmm. so that they'll open up more. Or, Could be. So we'll see about that. A coworker of mine, Mello, he mentioned that he feels that magic is more important or more powerful than we think, meaning magic created everything, even the old gods. 
Like there's something more to the magic that we don't know about yet. I could see that, but it doesn't seem like that's going to impact them because I don't think we're losing magic everywhere. I think they're just shutting it off in Fillory, yeah, so I mean, it would seem with the plumber guy. We have to keep in mind that the old gods are the ones that shut it off. So it didn't disappear, it's shut off. I right. keep forgetting that. Yeah, just selectively, at least we think. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's a lot still to learn about the old gods. I've been eager to see them come on screen a bit more. Maybe this season we'll get glimpses of that. Every show, every movie, every fairy tale I read, it's more intriguing to not know the old gods. As soon as we learn who they are or we find, you know, get a conversation with them, I'm always disappointed. I think in my head I always want them to be something bigger than what they are. I agree, but I love the way Magicians has handled it so far. Ember and Umber, I know these were minor gods, but they were very intriguing. Yes. I liked Persephone when she was here. Not too much, but I think they've handled it well. Oh, for sure. I'm talking about meeting an old god, like Zeus or something. Yeah, and that's what we get the feeling that these people would be, but... Like, I want the fact that they shut it down to be something deep, like I've been saying, like, they need to be uh, yeah. taught. But it's probably going to be something stupid, yeah. right? <laughs> I don't think it's that. Prepare yourself. You know, one of the gods was mad because they lost a bet that they were having over the humans that they wouldn't be able to defeat Ember and Umber. And he was mad and was like, shut it off. Yep. Be like, you spiteful fuckers. Yep. (laughs) Well, next, Tick brings Elliot to see the Muntjac. He warns him. Majesty, I know something of this vessel, and I feel obligated to uh, warn you. First and foremost, never forget, uh, this boat is made from sentient trees, and therefore has, well, a personality. And uh... They get shown around. We talked about this before. We also see that in the center of the ship is the boat's heartwood, a glowing tree. That looked visually amazing. It shows the magic. It shows the reason why we want this ship, and it set the scene up perfectly for later. And this is also where we meet Frey for the first time, as the fairy queen wants somebody to accompany them that she can trust. So we already discussed the fact that it was a uh, trope, but I love, what did the magician say? It was um, very Buffy-like, it was very... Twilight. Twilight. Yeah, their excuse for Frey not being two months old anymore is that in the fairy realm, time folds in on itself and accelerates, which could very well be true for all we know. But Elliot and Margot are definitely suspect of it. Elliot, for sure, does not think it's their daughter. This is also the weird point where they go outside, and they're talking about it, and then Frey just appears next mm-hmm. to them. Can she almost teleport? They made it a point to show us that Frey was on the boat or ship. Right. And then right behind her. So she must have something that we don't know yet. Some kind of magic. For sure. I mean, she was trained as a fairy, right? Yeah, but biologically, we think she's all human. So that's very interesting. Can they bestow their magic Maybe upon her? Maybe as a baby. Yeah, I think so. Hmm. And what? how far does that extend? Right. Is she, you know? is she a human camcorder? <laughs> like we were saying, Can if she, she has the magic? Can she go back and forth at will, maybe? Oh, that's another question. Just pop yeah. up here and there? I wonder. And can she become invisible? Because I don't know if we've talked about it, you and I have definitely said, it seems that nobody else, when they're talking amongst the council, can see them. The fairies, that is. Right. Yes. So I don't know if that's a human quality or just what the fairies are allowing. 
But can Frey do that too if she has some of these powers, which could get interesting. We also get a really moving scene here between Margot and Elliot. We find out Margot is staying behind while they go on this quest, and she tells Elliot tearfully, what's the difference between a live hero and a dead moron? One dumb decision. So when it's be brave or be smart, you know which one. That was very well done. You felt the passion. You felt the love there. And that's the title of this episode. Yeah, incorporated very nicely. And it reminded me, because I'm always so brave in life, like I have to sometimes be able to run, you know. (laughs) (laughs) I think this becomes more necessary as we do see Elliot stepping up as a hero, and Margot has obviously noticed that. And she's telling him she needs him. She needs him to come back alive. And with that, the Muntjac sails to the islands. We get a really nice shot of the two moons in the night sky. And Fen watching over Frey as she sleeps. She's got this moony look on her face. This is very believable as far as Fen is concerned because she was so out of it. I, you know, she was loopy. She was holding onto a log. So the thought of her latching onto Frey as, this is my child, I love her so much. And as they're walking to the ship, she's like trying to hold her hand. That makes complete sense to me. And I love the way they played that in. And then the juxtaposition between that and the way Elliot feels. But before we go into that scene, let's talk about the Munjack a little bit. This boat can be a bit of an ass ditch. <laughs> this is the kind of stuff I love about fairy tales. Hmm. We often say that we love movies and TV so much. You know, I have friends who don't watch it and they're like, it's wasting, it's a waste of time, it's a waste of your life. But to me, it's an escape, especially when it's something like, Game of Thrones or something like magic, like the magicians, that's exactly what we want in life, right? We want to escape to something that's more magical, something that we can imagine uh, making our lives more fun and better. Having ships that are alive or sentient, that is a tree. You love trees. Mm. The middle of it is a tree. A heartwood very similar to Game of Thrones, wherewood, heart trees. Yeah. We see the outside. It's pretty small, which makes it fast and quick, right? But they walk inside, and it's bigger on the inside. Bigger on the inside, TARDIS. Now, I don't mind this, because I love the TARDIS thing. No, that's great. Bigger on the inside, and it's alive, just like the TARDIS. It has its own personality. It gets mad at the doctor. And that is for sure going to cause problems later, we already said. And we had mentioned that we saw this behind the scenes of creating the Munchak. So when they walked in, even though it was a quick scene, you see the vastness of it. It reminded me of Break Bills. Just wanting to be in there so bad, I just want to... walk through there, see the tree, talk to the tree, right? So I'm very excited to see what kind of personality this asshole of a ship, quote unquote, has. And the scenes that we're going to get with them inside, because of course they're going to try to incorporate that. Well, this was one of my favorite parts. And I remember you asking me last season, what was my favorite place so far that we had seen in the show? And I said, well, it's yet to come. We haven't gotten to that point yet. And this is what I was referring to. The place being the inside of the Munchak, but also it feeling like a character within the storyline. But just in a bigger sense, what I've kind of been waiting for the whole time is this quest. The quest for the seven keys, the time and fillery that we spend that's going to be more magical, more exciting in the way we think of it. High fantasy, if you will. And so that's, I think, where the disappointment came in in that first adventure is I've just been waiting so long and it was a a very small step. Yes. And so I think it's just been building (laughs) in my mind. But yeah, I was was very excited about this too. And coming back to Fen and Elliot, God, I love the comment 
when Elliot is so skeptical and he says, she's a little big for a two-month-old. Like you said, it's completely understandable. Fen has been longing for this child to the point that it's been driving her insane. But that's terribly dangerous now because she's so emotional about it that she's just going to believe it's their child no matter what. She needs that to be true. Whereas Elliot's trying to maintain some perspective that there's bigger schemes going on in this kingdom. The fairies are not to be trusted. And Frey has openly declared herself one of them. So I know that he wants to make this relationship with Fen work, and he's trying to appease her and get on the same page with her a little bit, but he definitely needs to keep a little bit of that doubt, Mm -hmm. just in case. And next they arrive at After Island. Very quick trip. (laughs) (laughs) Elliot declares it as a province of Fillory and announces himself as their new king. He greets the people and asks for their leader. He's told Father Poe is in prayer, preparing for the attack by the monster, which tries to kill them every few days, but Father Poe protects them. First of all, Elliot has that royal wave down pat. (laughs) End introduction. Yeah, but I was curious. I didn't see that coming. Why was he declaring it part of his realm? I think it has to be under their provenance technically in order for them to pay taxes. And maybe that's part of the problem. It was never declared. And so he said part of this mission is going in and establishing, hey, I'm your king. You're part of the country, and if you want our help, you got to pay your taxes. But ultimately, he comes to, well, forget about the taxes. I will help you with this problem Mm -hmm. that you're really struggling with, getting rid of the monster. I just want the key. Right. So this is where Father Poe tells him it's impossible to give the key to Elliot because it's the only thing keeping them alive, fighting this monster. And sure enough, just then, the monster swoops overhead, and all the people run to hide in one of the huts. When the attack is over, they exit the building to see the damage that it did. It killed a man who couldn't get inside. They tell Elliot it was a shadow bat. It's not really alive, so it can't be killed. That's why it's so dangerous. Frey says they've seen some of them in the fairy kingdom. They hold a funeral for the man. And aside, Frey tells Elliot they have shadow bats in her realm. She's seen the wounds it makes. The fangs are serrated. The wounds are messy and much bigger. So she's not on their side. Why is she helping him here? Of course, a part of me wants to be like, oh, she's going to be a good guy. Mm. But if you think about it, it's still in her best interest to find out what's really going on, fix this situation so that they can start collecting taxes, uh, maybe so the villagers can work. Instead of being scared of a monster, they can start working and collecting taxes or food. Maybe the tax is just food. So... It still is in her best interest and the fairy's best interest to find out what's going on here. It's so funny that you say that in the books. I think they say something like, what does that equate to? Five fishes? Their taxes for 30 years. Um, But you're right. The long game thing, if the fairies do ultimately want them to achieve this quest and get magic back, they need these keys. So she would be on point with trying to make that happen. And it works. Yeah, it does work almost too well because Fen is right on board. And this is only increasing her love for her daughter, right? Because together they figured it out. Because she says, I am a daughter of a sword maker, and I know the kind of wounds a blade makes. Dangerous. It's it's like a group coming together, the three of them, a family. If there's a fight, it's going to be Elliot versus Fen and Frey. Yeah. Fen is for sure going to side with that kid no matter what. So he holds a demonstration for the people while Bingle keeps Father Poe at sword point. He orders the father to do it with the key. 
to which he whispers some words and conjures the shadow monster. Elliot demonstrates making it disappear and says it's all been illusion magic. (laughs) Father Poe has been using it to make the people afraid. There is no monster. First of all, bravo, Elliot. I'm so proud of him. He has definitely, if you remember, we should go downstairs and watch episode one of first season because the juxtaposition between these characters is so diverse. It's, it's, It's insane. Elliot is a different man now. He is the king that was promised. We were just or turning into the king, not fully. But. For sure. We were just saying last episode, in season one, Elliot could not get himself up and going for anything hardly Mm-mm. other than a party. He was completely focused on his own pleasures. He didn't see a bigger point to life. And he didn't think that he could step up to these tasks and these responsibilities. Even down to when they first came to Fillory, he was still struggling with that. But as each new challenge gets placed in his way, he grows And he does kind of come up to the task. Now, I know some people are frustrated with this because some of the things that are meant to be stepped into belong to Quentin in the books so that he was able to become a little bit more not heroic. We've talked about that, that Quentin is learning he is not really Mm -hmm. the hero of the story, but he got some more of these responsibilities where they seem to kind of all be going to Elliot now. But I'm really enjoying that. Now, I might be reading into this a little much because we are coming off the tale of watching Mr. Robot, where Sam Esmail loves to give lessons in life or use his show as ways of displaying things that are happening in the real world as far as uh, religion or certainly politics. But if you think about this, this particular key is illusion magic. And who was utilizing it? a priest, and he was using it to put the fear in his followers so that they would continue to follow. Now, people listening, I'm not making a statement here. Don't get mad at me. I am a Catholic, and the joke where Catholicism is about putting the fear of God in you, that is for sure. I did CCD. I was taught to fear God. Like You're going to go to church because if you don't, you're going to hell, and you're going to need, you want the body of Christ every week. So make sure that you go and confess your sins so that your body's pure to take in the body. So there is some truth to that. I don't know if the show did this on purpose. Is, a, is it like this in the book? No, it's not. This is, this is a lot more of a cult-like feeling. Mm. Uh, it felt like a little brief one-off to give us some excitement for what's happening on this after island. But there was an interesting story and two interesting characters on after island that I perhaps would have liked to see. And so I'm not sure why they went with this instead of that. They might incorporate it later or something. Right. So I'm not going to talk about it yet. We'll wait until the end of season two. And if we never meet these people, we'll talk about it in our last episode. So I wonder if this was on purpose, the whole, the parallels between that, you know, this particular key is illusion magic and using it to put fear into having followers. I wonder if there's a statement there. I would like to ask Sierra Gamble, and hopefully we have her on our podcast. And I'm hoping our Clatchers, who are on Twitter, could reach out to her. Sarah Gamble's there. You can't miss her. Just ask her to come on our podcast. Oh, that would be wonderful. I would love to pick her brain, and I don't know how much she could really say, but it's an interesting point that you bring up about the keys. Does each one represent a different kind of magic, 
or a different challenge that they're going to have to surmount or both. Plus, it would just be great to get her thoughts on the magicians in general. So we're definitely going to reach out to her. You guys, please feel free to reach out to her, see what we can do. But that was my next thing. You just brought it up. Something I've learned this episode, that each key has magic of its own, and that's not shut off. So that means that something's powerful there. Do you think that's true, that it specifically correlates to the key? Because we know Father Poe was using illusion magic, but does that come from the key? Is that what this key actually does, this one type of magic? Yeah, it seemed that because he needed the key and he needed to summon it Mm -hmm. using the key and he couldn't couldn't get rid of it, right? Right, but is that all it can do? Well, probably not. But this key, now I'm guesstimating here, but I think this follows the lines of movies and shows we've seen in the past. Seven keys, seven different types of magic, seven different types of quests that they'll have to overcome that is indicative of the type of magic that it has, right? Mm. So this key was the illusion magic. They had to figure out what the illusion was and overcome that. So that means every key might have a different type of magic and together they can unlock magic again because they'll have all corners of magic or something like that, right? Well, that would be awesome. I really like that thought. Now, do you think... As the keys get utilized, so is illusion magic unlocked now, but only that one kind? Or do we have to wait till we get all seven and then release the whole thing at once? But it's, it's definitely not unlocked. They just have the key. Okay. They have to unlock it somehow. There's more to it for sure, but we're starting to get a picture of it. Because hmm. that could also be interesting too, if it's just one at a time. Like now we have illusion magic. So what can we do only with that? Kind of, but I would need more than just being able to hold a key and now you have it. Yeah. Keys are for function, to right? Open they something. do something. Yeah. So you have to do something with it to unlock it. Mm-hmm. Well, this is fun. I love talking about this. We see as we leave the island that Elliot leaves the people to themselves and it appears as though they're about to execute Father Poe. He's certainly going to pay in some way for these crimes. And Elliot leaves him with those parting words that Margot gave him, already clearly making an impact on him. How many of you have died at the hands of your priest to make him your uncontested leader and hero? Reminds me of what a good friend once told me. What's the difference between a hero and a moron? One bad decision. I may be an easy guy to entertain, which is probably a good thing, but I love when the title of the episode is so pronounced that way and it's kind of like revealed at the end and it's one of our heroes that reveals it. I don't know. It makes me feel good. Well, it comes back around. It's not just one time that it's mentioned. Right. And the way Elliot says it as though, you know, when you say like a wise person Mm -hmm. once told me, you know, their relationship is... Amazing. They're, it really is. I really like the Elliot Margot thing. And they were always tight, but they're even tighter now, mm-hmm. which just makes me more worried about the rest of the group. Going through everything they've gone through and trying to run a kingdom that's in shambles and having no magic, it would be very easy for them to constantly be Baker. at each other's throats. Yeah. But they always find a way to step up and work together. Well, later aboard the ship, Elliot looks at the key as Frey comes to speak to him. She wonders why he didn't collect the taxes from the people. But Fen retaliates, it's the only magic they've found so far, and what could be more valuable? And that's, of course, when they have their little parenting moment together, and they send Frey to her room. 
that was a cute scene. Very enjoyable. And like you said, it gives me a little bit of hope, but, uh, you know, I'm not going to let that overtake me because, of course, there's going to be issues. And we end the episode with one final scene where alone in an alley back on Earth, Q pulls the book from his bag. It opens itself and flips to a blank page where it starts to fill in chapter two. Before he can read it, the construction man comes up and starts attacking Quentin. And we see the force leave the man and enter Q. Couple questions. Why was Q alone? I know. In an alley. Yeah, why would he choose that time to open a book? In a random construction yard. Well, I think the book seemed like it was moving or something in his Mm. bag. Something happened to make him pull it out and look. But... Yeah, it was kind of bizarre that he was just there by himself. The lamprey is clearly tracking them down. So the reason that's following him makes sense. I didn't get a chance to see because it was such a quick scene. Was the book writing in what Elliot just went through? Is that the... No, because we found out chapter one was about finding the first key. So when chapter one filled in, they knew what they had to do next. Now that Elliot's accomplished getting the first key, it's giving them chapter two. So the adventures reveal themselves as they go along. That's cool. Okay, question number two. The man that was possessed, is he just knocked out or do you die once the lamprey leaves you? He looked dead. I'm not sure. So if he's dead, this is an issue because we need to... Obviously, I'm thinking right away, all right, we need to get this thing out of queue. Mm Ugh. Okay, so we have to do it in a way that doesn't kill him. And now Q is the one. We always have a character, right? I'm noticing. Who is either missing something, doesn't have a shade, or is turned into something, mm-hmm. like a Niffin. It's Q's turn. Or is dying, like Penny. Yeah. <laughs> it looks like Penny might be cured. Now it's Q's turn. And I wonder how long it's going to take for the group to realize. Well, I'm hoping they realize next episode. Well, and Q, I think what's great, Jason Ralph does a great job portraying the darker side of things. So we had him in season one struggling with mental illness and being trapped inside of his own mind and fears. Then we had the whole caco demon thing and then Alice living inside of him. So it's not a big jump to have this lamprey inside of him possessing him. And I think we know he's going to portray that really well. And I don't think it's a mistake that he's gone into Q knowing that Alice cares about him and this is going to be a way to draw her out and get to her. She's going to have to come save him. So it's a very exciting place to leave our episode two. Without further ado, let's move on to our ratings. Okay, before I go into my ratings, which we are rating in keys this year, again, last year was crowns, but it's only fitting, right? Now that we've walked through it, do you like this episode better? I have to say, I think I pretty much feel the same as I did in the beginning. There are parts of it that I really, really like. I do like the episode on the whole. Clatchers, we need help. It seems Christina has lost her shade. (laughs) That's not true. (laughs) You will see if you just give me a minute based on my rating. It's very similar to you. I don't like it as much as the premiere, which is to be expected. I have a little issue with the time management thing that I wish we spent just a little more on the fillery quest. So I am going to go down, but it's still a very good rating. I'm going to give it eight keys. Okay, I'm along with you. Of course, it's not as good as the premiere, but I don't think there's any show that we've reviewed where the second episode was better than the premiere. Mm -hmm. I'm going down to 8.8 keys, which is still a really great score. I, as well, wanted more from that 
quest with Elliot and his crew. But you know what? I'm not scared and I'm not worried because there's more to this quest. And I think it's only going to unfold further for us and be more exciting. Oh, yeah, I agree. I don't think this indicates problems for the show. I'm not worried about the future. I didn't even dislike it. It's just a little step down. You know, I went from a 9.3 last time to an 8. You went from a 9.8 to an 8.8. Pretty on point. And IMDb was at an 8.6, so we're right there. And we also have to talk about our MVM, Most Valuable Magician for the episode. Luckily, we got our poll back up. Yeah. Just a reminder, Clatchers, if you're listening... On Twitter, right after the episode, or maybe 10 minutes after, because we do a lot of pausing and rewinding, so you might finish the episode before we do. But stay online, on Twitter, go to at CKC Podcast. We're going to put up a poll after every episode, asking you who your most valuable magician is. If you don't have Twitter, and you think it might be fun, it's really easy. Just create an account, follow us, and have some fun with us. So this week, we asked... Who kicked magic's ass this week? And looks like I forgot to pluralize magic. Another, uh, <laughs> another um, bit of advice. If you see spelling mistakes or grammar mistakes, that's because I'm the one doing it. Jason typed it. I type. That's I, how you know whether it's me or Jay, by the I way. I type faster than I think. And that becomes an issue sometimes. It also kind of works the way you wrote it, too, though. Who kicked magic ass this week? Yeah. Oh, yeah. It okay. could go that way. I did it on purpose. <laughs> so we asked you to vote and leave a comment. We gave you Elliot, Quentin, Julia, and Frey. Now, we do acknowledge the fact that it was a little obvious this week. We kind of knew who the winner would be. It was hard to even find other choices, but we had to put it out there. So tied for third place, you have Quentin and Frey both ringing in at 8%. In second place, you have Julia for 17%. And first place with a resounding 67%. With a resounding 67%, Elliot. Yay! So let's explain why we put these people. I think this will be fun. So Elliot is the obvious. We'll go into that in a second. Then we have Quentin. Because Quentin was the one to kind of figure out what to do in the next quest, where to go to find whoever created the magic spells. Talking down Professor Lipson. Talking down Professor Lipson. He kind of was the leader of this group on Earth. I think it's really easy to discount him because by the end, he winds up getting possessed. So that's the last thing you remember. Then we put Julia because she was the catalyst to get Katie to join in on this adventure. Despite how much Katie was angry with her. So that's no small feat to overcome that. Then moving on to Frey, you would think, why Frey? We don't even know if we like her. She's a bad guy right now. Well, she was the one to help Elliot realize that this was illusion magic and be able to overcome the After Island and get the first key. That was a big deal, solving yeah. that mystery, for sure. But again, the winner, and I agree with it, is Elliot. And we had our Clatchers also give their comments. Mel wrote, had to go with Elliot. He revealed a fraud, and that's always a plus, right? Melly said, yep, definitely Elliot for me too, a true king here. He takes good advice, puts it to good use, saves a village, and gains the first key. And he's on a boat, baby. <laughs> I love that. Kirk wrote, as a joke, because he doesn't watch this show yet. Hopefully he will. <laughs> I vote for Jason. He worked killer magic, rescuing the CKC website from internet hell, 
runner-up, Christina, for putting up with him during all that. No, no, we need an official vote on that one <laughs> to find out if you or I won. <laughs> no, I vote for you, Thank clearly. You. And it was stressful. everybody else who helped out, because that was a group effort. Thank you so much for assisting, and thank you to you fans for being patient while we get it back up and running. So, Jason, is your official MVM Elliot as well? Yes, it is. Okay, we'll make that easy. Me too. We've already stated all the reasons. But you've now named him twice. So I'm going to remind you of our rule from last season. You can only name one character up to three times. My goodness, I did Elliot last week too. So after this, you might want to save him for a bit. I say F your rules. (laughs) You've got to play by the rules. So we also usually review our questions coming out of the episode. The big one being, is Frey really Fen and Elliot's child? What kind of power does she have? What do the fairies ultimately want out of this? What is the first key for? Are we going to see an actual door? What do we do with it? Do we get magic back a little at a time or all at once? I have a question as well. Are we going to get the group together as far as Katie and Alice? Are they going to join the group officially or are they still going to be on their own uh, adventures? And same thing with Penny. Do we keep him sidelined onto this mission? Does he ever wind up back? Do we get them all in Fillory at any point? Ever? Maybe not. And finally, we're going to bring back a segment that we didn't do last episode, but we used to do it last season, and that's a character review. When we look more in-depth at a character, we do pull from stuff from the books, some stuff that might be spoilers, so we're going to give you your official warning here. If you are afraid of that, we will see you next time when we review episode three, The Losses of Magic. For those of you still here, today we're going to talk about Misha Mayakovsky. One of my favorite characters still. Me too. Probably wouldn't want to meet him in real life, though. Yeah, well, he's described as, personality-wise, grumpy, often angry, and a secluded person. The way he taught and pushed the fourth years in season one to their limits could easily border on abuse. However, his behavior can often be explained by his exile and loneliness in Breakbill South and everything we know he's been through. Plus, sometimes we saw him show warmth towards Quentin and helped him when he needed and some interesting interactions with Penny as well. He's also a very powerful magician. It's hinted that he's one of the strongest magicians of the time, but no one really knows about his skills and his inventions because he's doing all of this in secret at Breakbill South, and he never really shows it to anyone. We got the first inkling of that when we learned about the batteries. So let's talk about, from the books, where it's revealed some of the other inventions he's made. And this is where we're going to get into spoilers, because some of this comes from The Magician's Land, the third book, which we haven't gotten to yet. But it's revealed there that he created many wonders and treasures from fairy tales, some of them contained in his Museum of Mayakovsky. Now, I don't think this is going to indicate storyline moving forward. I think it's just fun to read them aloud, but you never know. There is a perpetual motion machine, a pair of 7,000 league boots, one drop of universal solvent suspended in the air via magic, magic beans, a pen that writes only the truth, a mouse that aged backwards, a goose that lays eggs of gold, silver, platinum, and iridium, a way to spin straw into gold, and a player piano that improvises according to the listener's mood, optimizing itself until it was the sound of everything you ever wanted to hear. In fact, in the story, Quentin had to make Mayakovsky turn it off before he broke into tears. Mm. Now, there are also some other things that he was purported to have made, which I will not share, because Mm -hmm. they do seem like they're going to be huge spoilers in the future. But if you've read the books, 
you'll know what I'm talking about. And that's why I thought it was interesting to talk about Mayakovsky today. I love when you bring up characters like that. I think it really adds to the podcast. This continues to be one of my favorite shows, not only because of the magic and the lightness of it as compared to some of the other shows we podcast about, but because of the fun of it. And I'm excited for next week to continue this fun. In the meantime, we will have a bonus episode for our Patreon Clatchers. And if you're not a Patreon Clatcher, please come on board. Also, we ask you, if you really dig what we're doing, to leave a review. And we still have this competition, I guess you would say, going on. Yeah, the open, on. open challenge. and Another sort of raffle, if you will. And that, we had told you guys, if we receive 100 reviews on our Magicians channel specifically. So don't go to the main Coffee Clatch crew page. Go to the Magicians page on iTunes and leave a review there. If we hit 100 reviews before the end of this season, that's important. You got to do it before season three is up. We will put all of those names of everyone who left a review into a raffle and pick out a winner who will receive a free item of CKC merchandise. Here's a way to guarantee you win something. Have your friends who aren't even watching The Magicians, <laughs> have them write a, a great review for us. And then if they win, they, give, they have to give you the gear, the hat or the shirt, whatever you want. I don't know what your friend gets out of that, but it's a good plan. It's a friend. Friends do things for friends. All they have to do is sign in real quick and, and write a review. No, we it, look at those reviews and we do appreciate it. So yeah, keep those coming. And it really helps people to find us, to start listening to the podcast for the Magician Show in particular. There aren't as many podcasts out there. Yeah, and not as many listeners, unfortunately, which is sacrilegious. We have so many clatchers that write to us like, I wish I found you earlier. You know, thank God I found you. And it just hurts me because what we're trying to do is make it easier for people to find us. And we don't know what else to do. So you can do it by letting your friends know or retweeting about us or Facebooking about us. Let the world know so that we have more listeners. The more listeners will equal the opportunity to have a few commercials, which would equal the opportunity for us to have more shows. And it would just build and build. And also the opportunity to keep doing shows like this. We mentioned it last season. We kind of took a gamble on this show because it is a smaller audience, but we loved it. We believed in it. It is one of our favorite shows. But every year when seasons come back up, we have to reassess who we're going to be able to cover because we can only do one at a time. This is one we desperately want to keep on the boards. So help us out by continuing to show that support. We look forward to talking next week about episode three, The Losses of Magic where Alice visits her parents, Katie and Julia explore new methods to heal Penny, and the Lamprey is after them. Now, Alice gets a new cat. Hopefully, they don't blow this one up. Oh, dear. Now we're, doing, now we're talking about animal abuse. <laughs> <laughs> uh, till next week, this round's on me. This round is on me! <laughs> Try again.